Yeah, so I've been serving here as the pastoral intern for about a year and a half, and I've loved it. I also served with the student ministry, the sixth grade boys leader, now seventh grade boys, so that's exciting. Uh, also, uh, you might know me by the other name, Tender Young William. That's very kind of Peter to call me that. Uh, so whichever one works, I'll respond to it. Uh, and yeah, if we haven't met, I'd love to get to know you out in the lobby Uh, after the service. If you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I just want to set the stage for this special Sunday. This is an exciting Sunday for our church. If this is your first Sunday with us, maybe you're new here, you should know that we don't typically have a large slippery tub of water in the front of our auditorium. It makes for bad traffic flow, but it's not typically there because this is, but this is not a typical Sunday. This is baptism Sunday. And at the end of the service, we're going to get to celebrate uh, the baptism of a new believer among us, and I'm excited to get there. But before we get there, I want to spend some time with you, with our Bibles open, so we can understand what God intends for us to see as we celebrate baptism. So, if you're physically able, let me invite you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. This is what the word of God says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now... If we, have, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this is a great text for us to celebrate, I mean, to, to sit under on Baptism Sunday. Uh, but we might be careful to, if you're a careful reader of that, you might observe that this text is actually not talking about water baptism at all. And so it's kind of, it creates a conundrum, right? Like, well, that's odd because it's Baptism Sunday. But, but what Paul's doing here is he's actually using this image of water baptism, of baptism by water, to communicate a massive, incredible reality, which is, if you believe in the gospel, you are united with Christ. And union with Christ results in two wide-sweeping, deep effects on your life. It, it changes everything. And so that's what, the Paul, what's what Paul wants the reader to see, and that's what I want us to see today as we see these baptisms. 
So I want to show you these two wide sweeping truths in, in Romans 6, 1 through 11. And then I want to show you how the baptism at the end of this service is just going to preach the sermon all over again. So two truths that are key for us to grab, to, to see in baptism in Romans 6, 1 through 11. This is it. It's in one sentence. The people who put their faith in Jesus were justified at the cross and they will be sanctified by the power of the cross. It's, those things are in one sentence because they're inseparably linked with one another. I'll say it again. The people who put their faith in Jesus were justified at the cross and will be sanctified by the power of the cross. And through baptism, we see a symbol of both things as entirely a work of God, not ourselves. So two things we see in baptism. The justifying work of the cross and the sanctifying power of the cross. Let's begin with the first and maybe the more familiar one among us, something we talk about a lot. Number one, baptism shows that believers are justified at the cross. Look back at verses three and four again. I'll read them again to you. Do you not know that all us who have been, all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So that word baptized, it showed up three times in those two verses. Three times. And uh, in the, in the root word for the Greek word for that is baptizo, which means, in our English language, immersed. It means to dip, or to submerge, or to plunge. That's the image being communicated by the word baptism. So readers would have an understanding of this. Like, it just means to like, be immersed underwater. Like you would take a sponge and plunge it into your sink water and would fill that sponge with water. So are you immersed into Christ when you call on him for salvation. That's what's being communicated. You were baptized into Christ. And this communicates a very big thing that, that uh, theologians call union with Christ. It means you're united with Christ. This means you are in Christ, as Paul likes to say, or you're united with him in your identity. It changes your identity when you're united with Christ. So what does it mean, though, to have this union with Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ, as Paul is saying in here? You're baptized into Christ. What does that mean? Well, there's... There's volumes of books written about this, uh, and I don't have the time to read them. But I see three things in this text that we see in baptism. Three things about being united in Christ. Number one, we are united with Christ in his perfect record. United with Christ in his perfect record. I've included in the outline, but it's only a few verses back. Romans 5, 19 says this. This is what led up to the verses we were just reading. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners. We inherited sin. So by one man's obedience, that's Jesus. Many, the many will be made righteous. The many will be made righteous. When you trust in Jesus for eternity, you are united with Christ before God and all of his perfection. You're united with his perfection. So the Jesus we see in the Bible, 
all his amazing love, his, his patience, his humility, all the perfection of Jesus. Those are the only things on your record before God when you put your faith in Jesus and you're united with Christ. In Christ, you won't be judged. If you are in Christ, you will not be judged for all your disobedience, all the greatest regrets of your life, all those things that you feel like you can't escape, you will not be judged for those if you are in Christ. Instead, you will be judged by God according to Christ's perfect record. You will be justified. Justified, meaning it's just as if you had never sinned. And just as if you had always obeyed, you are justified by Jesus' record. And instead of all the sin of your life, all the works of the flesh, all that will be on your record is all that God can see is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, perfection. That's what Christ, that's what God sees on your record when you put your faith in Christ. But how do we know? How do we know it's going to be? that way how do you know that your sin won't creep onto that record on there how do we know we won't just get we won't get Christ's record and our record at the same time when we reach the judgment seat of God how do we know well number two if you're united in Christ you're united in his death and his finished payment for sin look at verse three and verse five again it says it twice for if we have been united with him in a... Wait, verse 3. Uh, here we go. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Into his death. And then verse 5. For we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are united in his death. When... God justified you by Jesus' blood on the cross. It was as though you died there with him. This is big. It was as though your body of sin, all that you have done, was nailed to the cross as Christ was on that day. That's what Paul is saying there in verse 3. We're baptized into his death, which means, which means that your sin is paid for. It's paid for. It's been dealt with. It is a dealt with issue to the fullest sense. Therefore, if God were to judge you for your sin, it would be unjust. He would be charging twice. He doesn't do that. He's a just God. It was paid for by Christ, so it can't possibly be charged to you. It's finished, and there's no take-backs. I love how Corey Tenboom says it. She says, God buries our sins into the depths of the sea. And then he puts up a sign that reads, no fishing. No fishing. It's finished. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. That's truth. I mean, I feel like that's truth. That's hope when you unite with Christ. Number three. When you're united with Christ, you're united also in his resurrection and for all eternity loved by God. 
Finally, being baptized into Christ. Being baptized into Christ, immersed into Christ, plunged into Christ means that you're not just in in his death, but you're totally in. You're totally in. It means that you're just as he was resurrected from the dead for all eternity, so shall we. We shall be eternally resurrected children of God. Children. Verse 5 says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Skip down to verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, Christian, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have a hope ahead of us now that death, the end of our lives, will not be met with judgment for sin. It's no longer, the death itself is no longer judgment for sin. But now it becomes a gateway to everlasting life, life that we've longed for. Life. Paul, I love it, he taunts death at this truth. He says, oh death, where's your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? I love that. that where's your sting? Uh, at his resurrection, Christ took the stinger out of death. And the worst that death can do for us now, if you are a believer in Christ, the worst that it can do is produce the honey of eternal life in Christ. Death is leashed by Christ to serve the Christian. It is defeated for the Christian. And now we are met with hope instead of despair at the end of our lives. That is life-changing. I remember sharing this good news with some high schoolers in Michigan just a couple summers ago. I was up there with Campus Outreach um, we were out sharing our faith on a Friday night, and uh, I came, I was with my friend, and we, this car that was just dented up, it was just nasty. All these like high schoolers were in it, and we came up and we started talking with them, um, and they were a little rough around the edges. I got in the car, and I was chatting with them, and um, they were both on probation for things I don't really want to get into right now. Uh, But of the two, there was certainly a worse offender. Um, He was in some pretty bad shape with the law. And we're talking through this. We're talking through his past. He's 15, 15 years old. We're talking through his past. And the only word that I can use to describe his face as we were (laughs) talking through all that was ashamed. He was ashamed of what he had done in his past. And, And he's living with this and you know, I sat with him there. I'm sitting in the passenger seat just pleading with him, like, trust in Jesus for eternity. Trust in Jesus. He is the way. And he's 15 years old, and he had gone his whole life never hearing this message. Until then. And when I got to the end, and I'm telling him about the hope for eternity, the confidence that we can take to face the next day, 
because of Christ's finished work on the cross, his mouth just began to droop open. He's standing, and he got that, like, the deep look in his eyes, like, he's staring through me. and was like, whoa. (laughs) And then he asked, I love it. I tell him all this, I'm like, you know, panting, because I was excited, right? (laughs) He's, He's like, is that actually true? I'm like, yes, yes, it's actually true, man. And I kid you not, this is what he said. He's he's like, that's nuts. (laughs) Dude, that would change like everything, bro. (laughs) And it does, It, it does, it changes everything. The fact that we can receive this gift by faith in Jesus is in fact, like the wise man said, Nuts. It's amazing. The fact that Jesus died so that you and I might say, that's nuts, that's what it's for. When we see our past justified, we can't help but say, that's crazy. We remind ourselves, preach the gospel ourselves, I'm justified, I'm justified, I'm justified. But if you try, take note, if you, the glory of the cross, it doesn't just in there. End at your justification. If you try to go through your whole life just telling yourself, I'm justified, I'm justified, I'm justified. It's a past, finished work. I'm justified, I'm justified, I'm justified. You, you might have some confusion. If you go through your whole Christian life focused only on your justification, which is a, a past, finished, completely done work of Jesus. It's true and it's wonderful. And maybe your future glorification. I'm going to be home someday. I'm going to be home. I have hope for eternity. There's a gap in between those two. And you might find it confusing what to do with that gap. If you only focus on your justification, if you only think about that, if that's the only understanding of what was accomplished at the cross, you might have some confusion. At the cross, Jesus not only canceled your sin, but he empowered you to have victory over it in your life today. Today. If you miss the link between your, your past justification and your present sanctification, you will tend to have some issues with scripture. You'll major on parts that proclaim that God loves you, which is true. He loves you and forgives you of all your sins. It's true. And it's what we sing about every Sunday. But you'll get to other parts of scripture and you'll have trouble understanding it or maybe even minimize it. You might look at things that say, be holy for I am holy. Or when Paul calls the Christian to put off your old self or put to death therefore what is earthly in you. You might have some trouble understanding. What does that have to do with I'm justified by Jesus' record, right? And obedience to scripture might then seem a bit disconnected from him. It is not. In fact, this present obedience to God is only possible through the work of Jesus on the cross. He died on the cross for the explicit purpose of your obedience to God today. Which brings us to number two, which is what baptism helps us see once again. Number two, baptism shows that believers are sanctified through the power of the cross. 
That stubborn temptation exists in Christians. It's been this way since Paul. It's why he writes uh, in, in Romans 6, 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? We, ways we might think of it is, or if it's, if it's all about Jesus' record, then who cares about mine? Right? It's all about his record. I'm free. Right? There's a very real doctrine of sanctification in scripture. Sanctification is the process of a Christian day by day becoming more holy or becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification is not how you get to heaven. Your justification is. But you were justified that you might be sanctified. Your personal sanctification might seem like you to be a secondary issue, but it is not a secondary issue to God. It was bought with blood at the cross for us. And God intends to get what he bought. By justifying us and raising us to newness of life, God intends to get what he bought. And baptism shows this wonderfully. So here's a good question to think through this. This is the question kind of being addressed. Was our justification, that canceled record of sin, was that the only thing, was that the end of the cross? Was it the only thing accomplished at the cross? Was our justification the only thing accomplished by Christ on the cross? Look with me now at at verse 4 and verse 6. I'm going to read them both. And before we get there, Tune your ears in for a common three-word phrase between those two verses. A common three-word phrase that's in both of them. And I'm going to really sell it as I read it. All right? So that we don't miss this. All right? It's key. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. In verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Okay, what's the three-word phrase? Great. (laughs) You you must have looked in the outline. No, I'm kidding. Great. (laughs) Great, in order that. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Christ died on the cross in order that we might walk in newness of life. We were baptized into his death in order that we might walk in newness of life. Or verse six, we were crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Let's look at these two verses. Let's talk about each of them. Verse four, in order that we might walk in newness of life. Christ died in order that we would walk in newness of life. That means We live different, at least, right? It's a new way of living. It's different from our oldness of life, our old way of living. The explicit purpose of your life now is that it looks profoundly new, profoundly different from the life before you trusted in Christ. This is a call to holiness, but it's out of love for Christ. It's not out of obligation, it's out of adoration so that you demonstrate to the world the greatness of God and his wisdom. This is a call to obedience out of love. And number two, 
Verse 6, the body of sin would be brought to nothing. In order that the body of sin would be brought to nothing. Sin on our lives. I think about that promise in, um, in Genesis 3 when God promises to the serpent that he will crush his head. And you shall bruise his heel. I'm talking about Christ. But he shall crush your head. That image of a snake was really present with me as I was thinking through this through the week. Sin was like, sin, before Christ, sin on you. If you're not in Christ, sin is like a boa constrictor around your body, reigning over with you with total control. Where it goes, you would go. But God crushed the head of the serpent at the cross. He crushed the head of the serpent on the cross and he meant for you to walk free from the binding reign of sin in your life. So you must then fight to be free from the dead serpent's grip and experience freedom of living with breath in your lungs with new life. That you may walk free from the dead serpent's grip. Christ died and rose from the grave so that you would no longer be ruled by sin, but instead live as you were designed to. He died so that you could fight finally and experience life. The only sin that you can fight is a sin whose power was crushed at the cross by Christ. So, it's one sentence, right? They're connected. The people who put their faith in Jesus were justified at the cross and will be sanctified by the power of the cross. It's inseparable together. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. And baptism, baptism shows this, that we were baptized into Christ and that we shall be raised to new life and be sanctified by the power of the cross. Which brings us to the final point, number three, Baptism provides us a symbol and reminder of both truths. Reminder. I hope this has been made clear. But the way that you are justified before God, the way you are saved, is by Christ's work on the cross. Not through any works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And then he doubles down. Not a result of works. And a work might be baptism. It's not a result of this water baptism so that no man may boast. Instead, baptism is God's means for us to publicly demonstrate all we've been talking about this morning. The justifying work of God. The sanctifying work of God. It's a symbol declaring that one, we are in Christ and we're justified before God by the death of Jesus on the cross and we identify with it. Just as Christ died and was raised from the dead, so shall we. You don't stay under the water. You come up because you have life-giving hope, resurrection hope, and baptism demonstrates that. And two, we are sanctified by the cross. We are washed by the blood of Christ. We put off our old ways and joyfully present ourselves to God now. Just as we would take water to wash dirt off our bodies, so we are washed by the blood of Christ and baptism demonstrates that we're raised to newness of life with joy. Think about, I love it, when people come out of the tank, there is a big smile on their face. Living holy produces joy. So as we close, consider with me this biblical image 
of being the bride of Christ. Uh, think about engagements. Engagement season, summer. It's going to good pictures uh, coming up. As a, as, a, as a boyfriend might kneel before his girlfriend and ask for her hand in marriage, there's a lot of truth behind that. It's his love for her that compels him to go to her and ask. And then it's her love for him that constrains her to say in response, yes, yes. And the normal engagement, it always involves what? A ring, right? A ring. Now, clarifier, does wearing a ring on your left ring finger somehow just make you engaged? No, right? No, that's not... That doesn't make you engaged. It's the truth of the love of the commitment, right? It's a symbol. The ring is a symbol of a greater reality of love and commitment to a covenant relationship. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. So don't miss it, right? At the cross, Jesus paid the price for a believer's eternal relationship with him. His blood was spent for our relationship with him as his bride. And it's by that blood that believers have a proper relationship with God. Just like the boyfriend. It is his love for us that compelled him to be made low and die in our place. And it's our love for him which constrains us to then turn and call for him for salvation. And in a very practical sense, he has offered up to believers an engagement ring called baptism. And what's the very first thing that a fiancé does after she says yes? Well she, well, she gives him a smooch and then she, then she puts on the ring. It's normative. It's expected. It's odd if she says, I don't like the way silver looks on me, right? Or I don't like standing in front of people. I don't like being seen. I don't like, it makes me nervous to get in the pool. So if you've trusted in Jesus, but you've never put on the ring of baptism, make a plan today. Come, come talk to me. Come talk to Peter. Come talk to someone that can get you connected. Because believers get baptized as a celebration for the relationship we have with King Jesus. So today, we will hear the story from Miles in just a little bit after worship. We're going to hear the story from Miles of how God saved his soul. And then, we're going to baptize him. And like any good engagement party, we're going to go nuts when he comes out of the water. We're going to go nuts because God has done something better than any engagement party, any proposal. He's done something eternal. This is a Sunday where we rejoice over what God has done. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for washing us clean for the perfect record Thank you for the finished payment, God. Thank you for giving us this symbol of baptism to celebrate with the world what you've done. Oh, God, if there's, if there's believers here, I believe they're here, Lord. If there's, if there's an unbeliever here, God, that has never put their faith in you, Lord, use Miles' testimony, use this sermon, use your truth to save their soul and call them to repentance that they may trust in you for hope for eternity. Oh God, we ask that you do this in in Jesus' name. Amen.